Amen. Bless Lord. And good morning. As you heard, my name is Rudy Rubio. I serve the Reformed Church of LA. Together, uh, we minister to the communities of Linwood, Compton, and Watts. Uh, I also serve MLK Community Hospital in Watts as chaplain, as well as our beloved boys in blue, the Dodgers, as chaplain. You got a problem with the Dodgers? You can meet me outside in the parking lot after church, and we can discuss that a little bit further and talk about holy hands, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, on top of my salvation, the Lord has blessed me by winning the lottery, even though I didn't buy a ticket. The prize, his name is Edna. My wife, we got four kids, one granddaughter who has me wrapped so tightly around her finger, it's not even funny. I'm also a full-time student at Western Theological Seminary, finishing up my doctorate degree and hope to graduate next year. But other than that, I don't do much else. It's an honor for me to be here before you all today to stand in this pulpit and share God's word with you. You see, I haven't always been a pastor. Heck, I haven't always been a Christian. Um, I grew up as a cultural Roman Catholic, like most Mexicans, which means that we look down our noses at Christians. We never read the Bible, but premarital sex was okay as long as we didn't eat meat on Friday during Lent. I grew up and ran around the cities of Huntington Park, South Central, and Watts in the 80s and 90s. I never really cared much about church other than baptisms or funerals, and I went to a lot of those. Uh, I didn't want anything to do with God unless I was in a holding cell waiting my turn to go before a judge. And then I'd toss up a prayer real quick and do the sign of the cross and go into the courtroom. Not knowing back then that the only judge I really needed to be concerned about was the Almighty. Amen? You see, now that I've had a chance to read this book, I've understood that one day every single one of us will stand before God in judgment. And every single one of us will be found guilty will be guilty for the crimes that we've committed against a holy God. And none of us has enough money in the bank, none of us has enough good works that we've done to be able to work our way into heaven. In studying the Bible, I've learned that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Have you heard that phrase before? Great. Doing a good job, Pastor Jeff. Back in the days, I'd walk around with jewelry depicting saints and virgins, but they were more like good luck charms than anything else. I was such a fool, but God was good and so merciful to me. He was so patient with me as he's been patient with many of you as well. My life before Christ was crazy. I've been shot seven times. I've been stabbed 18 times, and twice they tried to give me life. Served approximately 13 years, doing time from juvenile halls to probation camp to the California Youth Authority. Then I graduated to the L.A. County Jail onto the California Department of Corrections. You might think, oh, how sad. But actually, it was in prison where I had an encounter with the risen Christ. It wasn't quite as spectacular as the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, but man, it was pretty close. That's who I was. That's my past. That is my story, just like you all have your very own. Now, some of us in here might know the Lord in a very intimate way. Some of us may just know of him. And some might be here today not really knowing what to believe or why, but that's okay. Today, I'll be sharing with you a piece of the greatest story ever told. And because it's true, it makes it even greater. You with me, Generations? Again, thank you, Pastor Jeff and Generations, for allowing me to be here with you all and to trust me to share our Lord's word with you. Please know that I don't take it lightly at all. Today, we'll be in the Psalms again, and I'm sure you've been well-versed in them. 
But let me kind of set up today's passage from Psalm 1. The Psalms were written across a time span of almost a thousand years, from at least the 15th century to about the 6th century, more or less. I believe it was Psalm 90 that was actually the very first Psalm that was written chronologically. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Psalms 126 and 137 were the last. The book of Psalms is also the longest book in the Bible, which includes the longest uh, and shortest chapters in all of Scripture. It is also the most quoted book from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. As I said, today we'll be in Psalms 1. It is the first psalm, not because it was the first that was written, but because it serves as an introduction to the book of Psalms, as well as a way of life by directly addressing the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Please open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms. As mentioned, we'll be in the first chapter. And if you can do me a favor and please stand, if you can join me by standing in body or in spirit if you are not physically able to. As we read from God's word, Psalm 1, we'll be reading the entire psalm, all six verses. Let me get a solid amen when you're there. Amen. Amen. And the word of God reads as follows, friends. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us ask the Lord for a special blessing on his preached word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you today and we bow in your presence. And Lord, as we consider your written word, we pray that we'd encounter the risen Christ, the living word. And as we look away from ourselves and look towards you, would you please help comfort the afflicted? And would you please afflict the comfortable? May your preached word convict us of our sin and comfort us knowing that in Christ we are forgiven. And gracious Father, would you please forgive me of my own sins, for they are many. We pray this all in the precious name of Christ our Lord and God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. Please be seated in his presence, friends. Our big idea this morning is this, that there are only two roads as it pertains to our eternity. Just two roads. To be in the, Lord's, to be in the Lord is to be blessed. To be apart from him is to be cursed. Let me say that one more time in case you blink. There are only two roads as it pertains to our eternity. To be in the Lord is to be blessed. To be apart from him is to be cursed. And here's how we'll break this down today in just two simple points. In the first place, we'll see in verses 1 through 3 that the first road is to be blessed in Christ. In the second place, we'll see in verses 4 through 6 that the second road is to be cursed apart from Christ. So let's start off with verses 1 through 3 in the first place. The first road, the first road is to be in Christ and blessed. Let me repeat that for you once again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of waters that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, the first road is obvious, right? It's the one that all people should walk on. Because blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor hangs around fools and takes advice from them. But instead, their delight is in the Lord. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. He doesn't just meditate on a five or ten minute devotional. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it says here he meditates on God's word day and night. And let me be clear. When it says he, it's not referring to just men. He, man, mankind, humankind, it, it encompasses everybody. Ladies, don't think you get a break, okay? And, and the direct result by being and delighting in the Lord's word day and night is that he is like a tree planted by a great source of water that gives what is needed to grow and produce much fruit. And there is only one who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked. There's only one who has not sat in the seat with scoffers, and that man is Christ Jesus, friends. Martin Luther said this. Martin Luther said that the first psalm speaks about Christ, literally. Thus, blessed is the man. He is the only blessed one. Now, although this reference is Christ as that blessed man, it is also for any person like us who are in Christ. So we too must take this up for ourselves. And we've got to reflect upon our own lives, reflect upon our own walk with the Lord. But don't take my word for it. Lamentations 340 says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. So let us examine our ways today and test them, friends. Do we walk in the counsel of the wicked? Do we stand in the way that sinners take? Do we sit in the company of know-it-alls? Anybody know a know-it-all? Right? I hate hanging out with them because they know it all. You can't tell them nothing, right? We got to ask ourselves these questions and be honest about it. We can lie to ourselves to try to justify things, but God knows the truth. We can lie to ourselves, we can lie to others, but we can't lie to God. Can we be honest this morning? Yeah? Well, the four of you that said yes, okay, I'll be honest with you. All right? Unfortunately, in the church, we've got a bunch of unwritten rules where certain sins are worse than others. Certain sins are more acceptable than others, so we don't really talk about them. Like, it's okay to be overweight, but being gay is way worse. We can overlook gluttony, but we can't overlook sexual immorality. Or why won't we wig out over people gossiping, but we'll go crazy over people cheating on, on somebody else in extramarital affairs? Don't get it twisted. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. They all go against God's law. And they're all unacceptable. But like the saying goes, if you hang with dogs, what do you get? I thought only Mexicans said that, right? <laughs> you hang with dogs, you get fleas, right? So we are not to hang with the wicked. If the Lord explicitly tells us that man or woman that does not follow the advice of the wicked or the evil people will be blessed, well, then why do so many Christians continue to involve themselves so deeply with the world? Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Because Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with tax collectors, right? Y'all have heard that part of the Bible? But he didn't do it because he wanted to be inclusive or tolerant and, and affirm their sin. No, Jesus ate with them to call them to a changed life, a more fruitful life, 
He challenged them to die to themselves and to live for him. Friends, Christ calls us to transformation of life, not affirmation of our identity. Christ calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. And he won't compromise his glorious gospel for the sake of perhaps people being unwilling to follow him because his law directly challenges or conflicts their lifestyle. So when God's word tells us to not walk in the counsel of the wicked or to take advice of the wicked, it's because of that. We don't need worldly folks giving us advice on our Christian walk. It's really quite simple. We don't need worldly friends giving us advice on Christian marriage. We are told very clearly that blessed is the person who does not do these things. Blessed is the person that delights in God's word. So much so that that person has their nose in the Bible day and night. And his delight is in the law of the Lord. Can I share a crazy fact with you? Okay. For those that didn't say that, I'm going to share it anyways. (laughs) Psalm 119 is like the absolute longest chapter in the Bible, right? I want to say that almost every single of the 176 verses mentions God's law. Did you know that? Check it out. I'm going to read to you just the very first eight verses of that chapter, because I want you to know that I'm telling you the truth when it comes to this. Is it up on the screen? Check this out. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And almost every single of the 176 verses of the 119th chapter of the book of Psalms mentions his precepts, his decrees, his law, his statutes. Why? Because blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Is your delight in the law of the Lord? Do you enjoy reading God's word? Are you in awe from seeing firsthand the great things that God has done and like how he's had mercy on you? Are you still impressed with the Bible? You should be. And we're told that for those who delight in God's word, they are like a tree being replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, every season of the year, never dropping a leaf and always in blossom. Friends, there are only two roads as it pertains to our eternity. To be in the Lord is to be blessed, and to be apart from him is to be cursed. So if the first road is to be blessed in Christ, then the second road is to be apart from him and be cursed. Let's get into that. Some people think that only Christians live forever. I want to debunk that right now and tell you that everybody lives forever. Believers and unbelievers alike. Everybody lives forever. The only difference is going to be our address. That's it. We all live forever. 
The only difference is where will we be spending that forever? There is no third way. There is no alternate route. Either we will be in the presence of our Savior for an eternity, worshiping him forever and ever, or, or we'll suffer eternally. What does that mean? The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 13, 49 and 50, though it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this takes us to the second row. To be apart from Christ is to be cursed. Verses 4 through 6 read, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. An early church father from the 4th century said this. He said, The ungodly have no possible hope. They shall be ground into particles imponderable, unsubstantial, dry. They shall be tossed to and fro and make sport for the punishment that gives them no rest. In other words, when the wicked deny God, they are led by delusion where the breath of the devil sends them. For they want no insight into the word of God. They don't delight in God's word, and they want nothing to do with God. These folk will be condemned at the time of judgment. These sinners will have no place among the godly because God watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads them only to destruction. God takes care of his people, friends. God will not abandon us. He promises that we'll never leave you nor forsake you. Our God fights for us. He told us to be still and know that he is God. He doesn't need your help. Any of you guys try to help God like I do sometimes? Like he's not responding quick enough. He's not doing it the way we want. So we feel like we got to get our, our I don't, we don't say wretched at our church. We say ratchet. Y'all know what ratchet is? I'm not talking about a 916 sockets either, right? God doesn't need our, our ratchetness to help his holiness. It's really simple. Jesus invited us to follow him. It says if he's telling us to walk this way and to do as he does. The apostle Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So why is it so hard to be imitators of Christ? We're going to be honest because it doesn't suit our likes and our fleshly desires. The world feels so much better. It's like food. Everything that tastes good is bad for you. Believe me, I know. And everything that's good for you doesn't taste as good. The truth is that we can do whatever we want. We don't have to be in the word of the Lord. But there are consequences. You play with fire, you get burned, right? Don't take my word for it. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? No, right? But God. There's always a but God with his people. Why? Because God offers forgiveness. Because he's loving. Because he's compassionate. Because he's merciful and he loves the unlovable. Who else would do that? Who else would he save? Who else would save somebody that didn't even ask to be saved? 
If we think about it, he did it while we were still sinners. Anybody just get up one morning and say, hey, Lord, I just want you to save me today. I got nothing better to do. So my 10 a.m. meeting got canceled. Maybe I just want to spend some time with Jesus. No. Romans 5.8 tells us that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to be at our rock bottom and cry out to him. While we were still sinners, Christ, Christ died for us. The truth is this. Folks aren't trying to hear this. It's all about living their best lives now. They're not worried about consequences because there's nothing tangible for them to see. They've not heard of anybody doing what they're doing and going to hell. But see, if they pick up this book and read, they'd see what happened between the rich man and Lazarus. Y'all are familiar with that story? The rich man had everything in this world, and Lazarus had nothing, and he begged for food. Both dead now, Lazarus is in heaven. The rich man is being tormented in hell. And he asked if Lazarus could just dip his finger to cool his tongue, he would be really grateful. The rich man was denied that. And he asked if somebody could go warn his family so they wouldn't end up in the same situation that he was. But he was told, they've got Moses and the prophets, which is what? His law. But he was like, nah, but if someone goes from the dead, surely they'll repent and believe. And the response in Luke 16, 31 says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if somebody from the dead goes. For many people, it's going to be too little, too late. The time is now. Friends, I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know where you are in a relationship with him. But it's a really good time to repent of your sins. It's a really good time to put your trust in Jesus. It's a really good time to stop playing with God. You know why? Somebody asked me why. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because coming to church doesn't make you a Christian more than standing in your garage makes you a car. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian more than standing in your garage makes you a car. Now, coming to church is imperative. Don't get me wrong. Don't get it twisted. You, we must come to church. The Bible calls us to gather every Lord's Day as a corporate group of believers to pray the word, to sing the word, to partake of the word, to sit under the preached word, to confess our sins and be reminded that in Christ we're forgiven. So church is important, but coming to church doesn't save us. Reading our Bibles is non-negotiable, but this too doesn't save us. We're saved when we truly place our faith in the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's my encouragement to you today. Would you repent of your sins? You may be cool and all, but you're not that cool. You're not that good of a person to work your way into heaven. Now, I mean, no disrespect, none of us are, right? It is only by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus that we can be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Only then. Now, you might be wondering right now whether or not you really trust in Jesus. You may be asking yourself, like, what do you have to do in order to trust in Jesus? Well, for one, it starts with a genuine question. And that we need to reconcile in our very own hearts and minds. And to do that, I've got a congregational challenge for us all. Anybody got a competitive spirit? No? Just the Maori? <laughs> Y'all are in trouble. 
I want to give you a congregational challenge and then two suggestions to help you with that challenge. And the challenge is this. Answer this question honestly. Which road are you on? Which of the two roads are you on and answer it honestly? Two suggestions to help us be mindful on how we answer this question honestly and to help keep us in step, staying on the path that leads to Jesus. And the first is this. Draw near to God that he might draw near to you. Draw near to God that he might draw near to you. Don't take my word for it. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's super easy, right? Draw near to God. Get close to him. Seek his presence. Get your nose in his word. Get on your knees and pray. Reach out to thank him when things are going right instead of just crying out when everything is going wrong. Talk to others about him. Jump into all these Bible studies that they got going on here. Because you cannot really get to know God without studying theology deeply. And if you don't know him, can you really love him? Can you love somebody you don't know? You can like somebody you don't know. But until you know every single detail about him, it is really difficult to actually be in love with somebody. It seems nowadays many people just have a love of the idea about God. They've got a concept of a God. They have knowledge that he exists and acknowledge that he exists, and they won't deny that, but they don't really know him. Most of the time, this God that they have without having studied is a God that um, approves everything that they believe in, doesn't challenge them in any way, shape, or form. Any guys like Christian hip-hop? My homie Shailin, he's a rapper, okay, and pastor in Philadelphia. He said this concerning doxology and theology. He said, theology is a study of God, and it's very important. Doxology is an expression of praise to God. So the point here, he said, is that all theology should ultimately lead to doxology. If theology doesn't lead to doxology, then we've actually missed the point of theology. If you have theology without doxology, you just have dead, cold orthodoxy, which is horrible. On the other side, we have people who say, ah, oh, forget theology, I just want to praise. If we have doxology without theology, we actually have idolatry. Because it is just a random expression of praise, but it's not actually informed by the truth of who God is. Let us put our noses in the depths of God's word that we might delight in his word, friends. If you're asking how to draw near to God and experience him more fully, well, I've got a couple of ideas for you. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We don't need to get all crazy with gimmicks. We use what he's already given us. So I'm grateful that you were talking about, what are we going to come up with a new psalm book for? We got 150, what, one, two, how many psalms do we have? See, you guys are paying attention to the book of Psalms. We've got 152 songs, and God knows 119, you can break that down to like 26 songs at least, right? <laughs> we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We use the common and ordinary means of grace that God has already given us. Of the two paths addressed today, if we can be really honest, it's super, is anybody really like find it easy to be a Christian? It's like one of the most difficult things in the world, right? You got to be nice to people when they're jerks to you. When you feel like slapping them, you just got to put your hands in your pocket and walk away and just like, all right, Lord, I'm going to be a punk, but I'm going to do it for you, Lord. Like, <laughs> it's hard. 2 Timothy 3.12, don't take my word for it. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. 
But God has provided us the sacraments for strength and spiritual nourishment. He's given us baptism and the Lord's Supper to which we'll be partaking of shortly. He's given us the church to fellowship, to be discipled, to study and know more about God intimately. He's given us prayer, the sacraments, friend. Hold on to them like a pit bull to a pork chop. Don't let them go. That's what God has given us to sustain us spiritually. Listen to a Belgic confession from 1561 says in Article 33 about the sacraments. It says, we believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness, has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace towards us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better our external senses, both that he enables us to understand by his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts confirming in us the salvation that he imparts to us. For they are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible, by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they are not empty and hollow signs to fool and deceive us, for their truth is Jesus Christ, without whom they would be nothing. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments that are Christ, that Christ our Master has ordained for us. There are only two the sacrament of baptism, and the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ. Friends, use what God has given us. There is nothing better to sustain our Christian walks than what our Savior has graciously and knowingly provided for us already. Here's my second suggestion to help keep us on the path that leads to Jesus. Avoid those things that hinder us from seeking God. Avoid those things that hinder our seeking God. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Every form of evil. Now, I don't think there are any dumb people in this room. Maybe dumb decisions, speaking for myself, but not necessarily dumb folks. I say this because we know what's right and we know what's wrong. Right? We know those things that please the Lord and those things that don't. We know what God has saved us from and we should know what God has saved us to. Don't be like the dog that returns to his vomit. Instead, avoid those things because they will cause you to stumble, I promise. You know what you need to avoid. There are things and people in this world that will encourage you to get closer to God, and there are things and people that will pull you away. I remember when I became a Christian in prison, one of the most difficult things as a Christian was that I didn't know who I was anymore. Like, I literally lost my identity. Well, no, let me me backtrack. I didn't lose my identity. I didn't know who my identity was in. For so many years, I'd been living as a person from this gang under a specific moniker whose entire identity in life revolved around belonging to this gang. And now it wasn't. Who was I? I wrote to my wife one day telling her that I thought I wouldn't be able to protect her anymore because I felt like a coward. I wasn't a gangster anymore. She wrote back to me telling me that putting Jesus and the kids before the gang was the bravest thing I'd ever done. So naturally, when I got out of prison, I stayed away from the hood. It was hard not having the homies in my life anymore. But I needed to get right and stay right with God. I had to avoid those things that hindered my walk with the Almighty. By His grace alone, I'm still in contact with some of them, but not in the same way as before. 
Now, instead of leading the gang towards bad, I lead them towards Christ. I've married some of them, I've buried many of them, and I continue to share the gospel with them. What things and people do you need to avoid in order to stay close to Jesus? Because, friends, there are only two roads as it pertains to our eternity. To be in the Lord is to be blessed. To be apart from him is to be cursed. Which road are you on? Before I close, I want to make sure that you're not misunderstanding what I'm saying. I am not trying to lay down more law on you. I'm not trying to lay a burden on you and tell you things that you must do. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and we know that through the scriptures alone. But what I do want to make sure I point out is this. If we've truly understood what's happened at the cross, that the creator of all things, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, that he abandoned heaven, stepped into the very world that he created because John 1, 3 says that all things were made through him, he condescended and he stooped down to create a way for his enemies to be saved. Well, how else should we possibly respond? When we've got our heads and our hearts wrapped around that fact that Jesus, born of a virgin, grew up in wisdom and stature, lived the perfect life we never could, died a death that was meant for us, that if we believe we'd be saved, how else should we respond? If you're unsure what is owed to God, here it is, once again. Every single one of us is a criminal. Whether you've been to prison or not, you are a criminal, friends. I don't care how long you've been in church, how pretty you are, how great your prayers are, Every single one of us has violated God's law. The one we talked about today, we've all violated his law. And because we violated his law, every single one of us deserves eternal punishment, providing just one of them. Punishment under his wrath. But here's the kicker. God is merciful. He is compassionate. He is forgiven. And for those people he's called his own, for those people that he foreknew before the creation, that he predestined and set aside for himself, for all those people he has created a way for us to be saved. He did for us what we'd never be able to do for ourselves, and we didn't even deserve it. That's how good our God is. That's how great our God is. So what should be our response? Obedience. Obedience. When we've come to understand these things, how could we not respond to God with love, obedience and fervor to serve him and to share this message with the world. Like, how can we go from sharing our favorite restaurant on Yelp to all of our friends, because it's the cutest little Mexican restaurant, and the prices are really great, right? But not share the greatest message ever known to man. Christ is fighting for us, friends. Right now, this moment, don't take my word for it. Romans 8, 34 says, who is to condemn? Who, who was to condemn us? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, he's praying for us. We're not alone. Brother, sister in Christ, rejoice that you are loved. Rejoice that your debt has been paid. And rejoice that you've been given the privilege to co-labor with the King of Kings. You're privileged to carry out his gospel work from Cerritos to Linwood and to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen? Amen. You with me?
Is anybody hungry besides me? So that we can get ready to partake of a spiritual meal. Let's pray. Triune God, we, we thank you, Lord, for the many gifts that you've given your church. For the ordinary means to use that which we would remain close to you, in you, and encourage in our walks with you. Would you please help us to be mindful of your law and that we would balance it out with your gospel of grace. We want to be obedient, but Lord, we struggle so hard in doing so often. Would you please help us? And please prepare our hearts and minds to come to your supper in a worthy manner. In Christ's name we pray, amen.